Um, hopefully more than one service out of three is good, but uh, that, that'll work, all right? In case you did not catch that, let me begin with a disclaimer. I am not Pastor Brandt. Now, I say that out of respect for Pastor Brent, because once you start listening to me, you're going to probably miss Pastor Brent. Um, I am a, I'm known as Mike in most places, but around here I'm mostly known as Stacy's brother. All right? Uh, not a bad thing. I, I like being Stacy's brother. Uh, yeah, since, you know, she's older than 12. Before that, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be, maybe, but... You know, everybody grows up. So, so Stacy and I share a lot of things. And the most important thing that we probably share, other than the spiritual stuff, is we share parents. We share Mike and Jackie. We share mom and dad. And, and I remember our parents using one-word sentences. Do you know what I'm talking about? As a parent, sometimes you reach the limit of your of the capacity of your vocal of your vocabulary. See, I just did it. Sometimes you reach the capacity of your vocabulary. You've exhausted every word. You've put them together in every way that you could imagine to do it and your kid still doesn't understand and all you're left with is now. Anybody else? Any parents that, right? How many of you have ever heard that sentence? Now. Maybe in, your, maybe in your country it sounded like agora, right? <laughs> right? Or, or maybe this one, no. But you got to do it like that, right? There's the implied exclamation point, no, right? Or maybe you're not accustomed to now or no, you know? It's amazing how much difference, by the way, that one letter will make. Just drop the W, now or no. And then there's, there's the one word sentence, <clears throat> Stop. Right? With the little teeth gritted at the you know, right? Stop. With your, your lips open and your teeth together. Right? Or maybe you're more familiar with para. Or how about this one? How about this one? My 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 foreign friends, right? My my friends. Maybe you're used to this one. Desculpa. Right? I'll admit I got that one from Miguel, so thank you. I appreciate that. Desculpa with a question mark on the end. My mother had the one word sentence, and this one transcends culture. No matter where you're from in the world, when your parents just said your name, everything changed in that moment. My mother could say my name, Michael. By the way, it wasn't Mike in that moment. It was Michael with at least three syllables, right? Michael, right? And I knew what I meant. Anybody else relate to that? So there's now, there's no, there's Spada, there's Desculpa, there's Michael. My son, my father would forget my name completely and he would just say, son. <laughs> Anybody else's dad do that? It's like my humanity was gone. And at that moment, I was just an extension of him, an extension of him that he was completely and fully disappointed with in that moment. And I just, I stopped being Mike and I was suddenly just son, right? One word. One word sentences. Don't. My personal favorite, I, I like to use a one word question. And all of my kids will tell you they've heard this before. I look out of the top and the corner of my eyes and I say, really? That's my favorite. Right? Ask Bo, ask Malia, ask Peyton. They've heard that one before. And when I say, really? 
It says so much. It says, are you not understanding the words coming from my mouth right now? Really? You're going to do that? You're in front of your mother and you're going to do that? Really? Right? So these one-word sentences, they brought uh, joy and they brought terror. There was one particular one-word sentence, though, that filled my being with terror and dread when I heard it roll off of the lips of my father. And it was when my father said, enough, enough. And that's exactly what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about the idea of enough. I want us together to consider the question today, how much is enough? How much is enough? This is the final day of our conversation about the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians, the letter of of the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, it wraps itself around one word, just three letters, J-O-Y. Everybody say it with me, joy, joy. From chapter 1 to chapter 4, joy, joy, joy. Chapter 1, verse number 3. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayers with Joy. Philippians 2, verse number 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, finally fulfill my desires. Do you see that? Joy. Do you see it? Joy. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And this brings us to the last verses of the book. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. And they begin with these three words. But I rejoice. It should not surprise us that the Apostle Paul is going to stick with his theme. He's going to close out the book once again talking about joy, but he's going to do it in a different kind of a way. He's going to talk about joy through generosity and generosity through contentment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. We need your presence in this place. You are the only thing that we need in this moment. I pray that we would hear from you, that we would enter into the unadulterated presence of the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God. And I pray that not one person here would leave the same as they came in today. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the setting. The Philippian church has just sent an offering to the Apostle Paul for the purpose of meeting his needs. They sent the offering by the hand of an apostle known as Epaphroditus. So in chapter number 4 and verse number 10, Paul is thanking them for the offering. But in the, in the words that he uses to thank them, he also opens up what he would like to teach them 
about. Take a look at chapter 4, verse number 10. This will be the vault from which we jump off of into our message today. He says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Catch that word, again. He says, Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Some of you might remember that in the earlier days of the Apostle Paul's ministry, the Philippian church had been generous with him. They had given financially to his needs and to the needs of other believers. The church, particularly in Jerusalem, was in a deep need as a result of persecution. And the Philippian church was among the churches of Macedonia that Paul says out of their, their distress and their great joy, they gave a great offering. Now, we often don't think of the words distress and joy in the same context. But the, the Philippian church apparently understood that joy was not situational in the early days. But what we see here is some time has gone by. Paul is saying you have, you've begun to be generous again. And he says you, not that you didn't want to be generous or you weren't generous all along, but you lacked the opportunity. Paul is a master teacher here, and he is setting up what he wants to teach them in this moment. This word opportunity might also be translated as season. It wasn't your season of giving. What he's saying is, if you look in the original languages, he's looking and he's saying that moment for you was not an opportune moment. Therefore, we get the English word opportunity because it was not opportune. So Paul is saying, you did not, you did not consider yourselves for a while to be in a season of giving. From your perspective, you did not have the opportunity. Now, there might be just a little bit of sarcasm tucked into the words of the Apostle Paul here. Because in reality, generosity is not seasonal. If you have anything, you have something to give. Let me illustrate this. Come here. Come on, you. <coughs> now, do you have any money on you right now? Okay, I'm going to change this. You know, like the big baller that I am, all right, with this $1 bill, all right? Now, do you have anything now? Yeah? Okay. So, let me ask you a question. Do you have something that you could give this morning? Yeah? Yeah, but you, girl, you got $1. You ain't got no, You got, what do you mean you got something to give? Does she have, does she have enough to give, yes or no? Yes? Girl got $1 to her name, and you're telling her she's got enough to give? Are you... Isn't that a little bit inconsiderate? No, that's reality, isn't it? I'm going to let you keep that. Because that's how I roll, all right? Give her a hand. <clears throat> if you have $1 to your name, you have, you're in a season of giving. If you have one morsel of food that you can share, you have something to give. If you have one piece of clothing to your name, then you have something that you could give. Let me give it to you in Alabama wisdom. My daddy used to say, boy, if I got a biscuit, you got a biscuit. <laughs> you might have one bite left, but you can choose to share that bite. Can I get a witness? 
You see, generosity is not seasonal. Not when you believe that you have enough. When you don't believe that you have enough, you will not see yourself as being in a season of generosity. So let me ask you a question this morning. How much is enough? How much is enough? The F-I-N-C-A, the Foundation for International Community Assistance, has this on their website. Over 1 billion people in the world live on less than $2.50 per day. 280 million people in the world live on less than $1 and one quarter per day. 40 million children in the world live without adequate shelter. And of those in shelters, 1 billion, billion with a B, people in this world live without electricity. Over 8 million people in the world at this moment do not have enough food to eat. And this year, over 3 million children will die as a result of malnutrition. You see, the thing that makes the difference is not what you have The thing that makes the difference is your perspective on what you have. Is anybody with me this morning? So the pastor goes out of town and he assigns me a topic to speak on. And what does he give me? The topic of generosity, the topic of giving, the topic that no pastor wants to talk about in church. And I don't have any shame this morning in talking to you about this. Let me tell you why. Because I know that giving is something that God wants for you. It's not something that God wants from you. It's something he wants to do for you. I'll explain that a little bit more as we, as we move on. If my perspective on that $1 is I need this, then I'm probably going to keep it. If my perspective on that $1 is you need this, then I'm going to be able to give it away. If my perspective on what I have is I have to have this, then I'm going to keep it. If my perspective is we have to have this, then I'm able to give it away. Are you with me this morning? See, the important thing, the most important perspective that I can have on all of the things that I have is this. None of them belong to me. And if they belong to God, then they belong to the people of God. So if I have it, God has it. And if I have it, you have it. That's why daddy said, if I got a biscuit, you got a biscuit. You see, I, I might have told my kids, if, if I got a biscuit, you got a half a biscuit. <laughs> I never realized until I was writing this message the depth of what my father was saying. He was saying, you're my son. You can have all that I have. Everything that I have is yours. This is God. This is the Father. This is the attitude of our Father. It all belongs to Him. And everything that we have is His gift to 
us. This is where we have to start. You see, there really is no season of generosity. There are seasons of healthy perspective and there are seasons of unhealthy perspective. What Paul wants to change, he wants to change their perspective on their possessions. Paul understands that something that you can give away is your possession. But he also understands that the thing you cannot give away, that thing, that thing is not your possession. That thing is your master. If you can give your abilities, but you can't give your money, if you can give your time, but you can't give your money, then here's the reality. Your money is not your possession. Your money possesses you. Your money is your master. That's why Jesus says... <clears throat> You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and stuff. See, when God challenges us to give, he's not challenging us to have less. He's challenging us to have enough. To see what we have as enough. He's drawing us into fulfillment. He's drawing us into contentment. This is why God wants us to give. All of these concepts wrap around one word. And the Apostle Paul wraps all of this around one word. Let me show it to you in verse number 11. Paul says, not that I speak in regard to need. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, the reason I'm writing this is not because I need something. The reason I'm writing this is because you need something. Not that I speak in regard of need. Watch this. For I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. Paul is letting them know right up front, what I'm teaching you is not because I want something from you. What I'm teaching you is because I want something for you. It's not because I want to have something. It's because I want you to have something. You see, their season, their giving, their giving was seasonal. But Paul's contentment transcended seasons. Paul had found the ability to live in contentment with everything or with half, with all or with nothing. Now, now listen, when Paul pins these words... He's in the Mamertine prison in Rome. The Mamertine prison in Rome was constructed by Marcius. Uh, I'm sorry, Ancius Marcius. Ancius Marcius. It was an underground cistern that was built to hold water from a spring that flowed under the building up into the floor. So to stop the water from coming up into the floor, they built two cisterns, level one deep, level two deep. <clears throat> now, level two deep had a hole in the top. And this hole in the top is where prisoners would be dropped into the Mamertine prison, either lowered or dropped, many times just thrown through the hole to the floor, and if they broke a bone, they laid there with a broken bone. Let me tell you why this was the case. <clears throat> because imprisonment was not a sentence under Roman law, but execution was. So when a prisoner was thrown into the Mamertine prison, he was simply thrown into the dungeon where he would await his death. 
So the only light is coming through a hole in the ceiling. The water is flowing underneath the floor. So when the apostle Paul says, I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content, he is writing those words in a dark, damp dungeon awaiting his death. Pause and reflect on that. And he says, I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. He's teaching them about generosity, but he's introducing them first to the foundation of generosity. The foundation of generosity is contentment. Until you believe that you have enough, you will never be able to give what you have. Until we learn to be content, we will never be generous. The question at the heart of generosity is this. How much is enough? How much is enough? If you have a home, if you have electricity, if you have more than $2.50 a day, you have more than millions and millions and millions of people in this world. How much is enough. How much do we have to have before we are able to live generously? Paul follows this bold statement about contentment in verse number 12. He says this, For I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. That literally means I know how to be brought low, I know how to be lifted up. I know how to have little, I know how to have much. And then he says, everywhere and in all things I have learned both for how to be full and how to be, what's the next word? Hungry. I've learned how to be full and I've learned how to be hungry. This is Philippians chapter 4 verse number 12. Do you have it on the screens? Philippians 4:12. I have learned how to be full. I have learned how to be hungry. Then he says this, I've learned how to both abound and I've learned how to suffer need. So the apostle Paul is content when he's fed and he's content when he's hungry. He's content when he's clothed. He's content when he's naked. Paul makes it clear that he has found contentment that transcends circumstance. He's found the place of enough. He has learned to reach beyond the borders of his lack and take hold of God's abundance. And he tells us exactly what God's abundance is in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 13, when he says this, I've learned that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you understand what he's saying? Don't miss this this morning. He's saying, my strength is Jesus. My source is Jesus. My supply is Jesus. And Jesus is enough. This is what he's saying. I have Jesus. I have enough. If I have millions, billions, hundreds, tens, or none, I have Jesus. I have enough. Can, can you say that this morning? I have enough. Paul is saying, if I don't have food and I starve to death, 
I will open my eyes in the presence of the bread of life, Jesus himself. Paul is saying, if I don't have clothing and I freeze to death, I will open my eyes in the warmth of the love of God the Father. Paul is saying, nothing can threaten me because I have enough. Jesus is enough. Paul is saying, if I have nothing, I still have more than enough. Hey, this is not the easiest message to amen. This is not the easiest concept to celebrate. I understand that. But ask the woman in Mark chapter 12 and Luke chapter 21, the woman who gave her last two pennies in the offering, and Jesus noticed. And Jesus said, all of the rich people that brought an offering that was much more than two pennies, none of them gave as much as this woman who gave two pennies because she gave all that she had. Ask, ask the widow woman that we meet in 1 Kings chapter number 17 who gave her last meal to Elijah. Ask her if God is enough. You see, generosity is not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. This woman was free to give her last two pennies away. Why? Because she understand that her faith was not in what she had. Her faith was in who she had. She was free from lack. She was free from not enough because she had the one who is always enough. He's enough. Christ is enough. Don't look at me that way. I warned you I wasn't Pastor Brand. <laughs> Generosity is freedom. Generosidade está liberdade. Generosity is freedom. How much is enough? Only you can decide. Only when you find contentment can you find generosity. And only when you find generosity will you find true joy. Because until then, you do not have possessions. You have things that possess you. Enough, enough, enough. When you have enough to see beyond you, when you have enough to reach beyond you, when you have enough to live beyond you, how much is enough? If you ask the Apostle Paul, he would say, Christ is enough. You can see it in the last part of our text. Go all the way down to verse number 19. Chapter 4, verse number 19. And my God, shall supply all your need. Everybody say that word with me, need. Let's try it again. Look at the person next to you and say, need. Good job. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Now, I want to ask you a question. The word need, N-E-E-D. How many needs does that refer to? All your need. It's an interesting uh, conflict in this sentence, isn't it? It's like an oxymoron. All usually refers to a plural, right? But need normally refers to a singular, doesn't it? Do you know why? 
Because when God meets your need, he meets it with Christ. And when you have Christ, you have all that you need. Isn't that interesting? This goes all the way back to Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6 when the apostle Paul said, um, he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I've heard this verse misquoted. Uh, verse number 19, chapter 4. I've heard it misquoted all my life. I've heard preachers so often, maybe you have to say, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Has anybody else ever heard that before? That's not what it says. It's just not what it says. In fact, when we quote it that way, we leave out the most important part of the verse, which is the last words that say, by Christ Jesus, God will meet all your needs by giving you what? No, by giving you who? By Christ Jesus. This changes everything. When you shift from need to needs, it is a seemingly small change that ignores the rest of the text where the apostle Paul was hungry and naked and broke at times in his life and he still had enough. Are you with me? This scripture is not saying, I'm going to give you everything that you ever need. He's saying, I'm going to give you the only thing that you will ever need, and it is enough. Does anyone agree with me this morning? Jesus is enough. I understand the conflict. My little girl lost her mother at 11 years old. 10 or 11. 10 years old. At 10 years old. But her mother was diagnosed with cancer before she was born. So God in his grace and in his mercy gave Malia 10 years with her mother. It can either be enough or it can be not enough. But it's all she has. Only one perspective leads to health and the other leads to self-destruction. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Every moment you have is a gift. Every breath that you draw is a gift. Everything that you have, every one in your life, and every penny in your bank account is a gift. When will it be enough for us? This is not a promise that every plate will be full or that every closet will be full. This is not God's commitment to maintain the American lifestyle. This is God promising that he will grant you exactly what you need because he will give you Christ for all times, for all needs, for all of your life. This is not a promise for every need. This is a promise for the only need. But let me show you what's cool. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and verse number 32. Romans 8, 31, 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Watch. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all... How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's an interesting twist, isn't it? He's given us everything. 
when he gave us one thing. He's given us hope in Christ. He's given us life in Christ. He's given us blessing in Christ. He's given us freedom in Christ. He's given us grace in Christ. He's given us faith in Christ. He's given us love in Christ. He's given us salvation in Christ. In Christ, he has given us, you ought to celebrate right here, all things. So how much is enough? Is Christ enough? When we live our lives according to the pattern of this world, nothing will ever be enough and we'll never be able to live a generous lifestyle. If the gift of God given to us in Christ Jesus is not enough to transport us into a lifestyle of generosity, nothing ever will be. Nothing. Nothing ever will be. Maybe you're here today, and if you're honest, you would say, Mike, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. Maybe, maybe you would say, I can't hold on to joy. I can't reach fulfillment. I can't find freedom. I don't know how to be at peace. I don't remember hope. And I'm longing for love. Maybe you have everything but has left you, but it has left you with nothing. Maybe you have cars, maybe you have a home, maybe you have a good job, maybe you have a savings account, maybe you have a retirement account, maybe you've put your kids through college, and yet you feel like you don't know how to escape the feeling that you have nothing. You're making a quarter million a year, but there's still something missing. You can have everything, but if you don't have this one thing, you have nothing. Because Christ alone is enough. The Bible says he is the Savior of all men, but especially of those who believe. Can you believe this morning that Christ is enough? Any place is a good place to start. You don't have to have a master's degree in theology. You don't have to read the, the whole book, of the, the whole Bible. You, you, can, you can start with this simple prayer. God, help. Help. I've worked all my life gathering up all of this stuff, and now it's just the prison where I reside because I've, I have everything, and I'm still empty. You can preach this message in, in, in the slums or you can preach this message in Beverly Hills. It really doesn't matter because only Christ is enough. From the favela to the mansions, only Christ is enough. From the ghettos to the subdivisions, only Christ. Only Christ. Only Christ is enough. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be together this morning. I thank you for your love for us at all times, in all seasons. I thank you for being enough.
in Jesus' name. With every head bowed this morning, with every eye closed. Is there anyone here who just can't escape the nagging feeling that you need something? I need something. There's got to be more. If you're feeling this morning like there has to be more, you are exactly correct. More of Jesus. More of grace. More of forgiveness. More of mercy. More of love. More of generosity. Maybe you're here and you have everything, but you still need this one thing because everything has left you with nothing. Call on the name of Jesus now. In your own words, say, God, I need you. God, I need you. I need your fulfillment. Tell him, I need your hope. God, I need you. God, I need your joy. <laughs> I need the joy that transcends prison cells or dungeons or execution sentences. Tell him, God, I need you today. And I don't have all the answers, but I need you. Just say, God, let's start here because this is where I am. This is what I have. I don't have anything more. And if you didn't say all of that, just declare this. God, take my life. If you're here this morning and you prayed something like that, God, be with me. God, forgive me. God, I need you. If you prayed something like that, I want to pray with you. I want to celebrate with you. So while no one else is looking around, let's celebrate this moment. If you prayed with me this morning, lift up your eyes and just look this way. Yeah, I see you. I see you. I see you. Are there more? Are there more? I see you. Are there more? Are there more? I see you. I see you. God bless you. Is there more? Yes, sir. I see you. Yes. 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 Turn to Jesus. Let go of everything else. Receive him. He is the way of salvation. He is the grace that makes the way. He's the forgiveness that can give you peace. He can give you life among the tombs this morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You don't even have to understand it. Welcome to the family of God. Church, put your hands together. Let's celebrate for each and every one of these people that's made the decision to call on Christ this morning. Let's stand and let's sing together this morning. I run to the Father, I'm falling in grace. I'm done with the hiding, the reason away. I'm tired for a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again. And I run to the Father, I fall in your grace. I'm done with the hiding.
to someone else. Give your time. Give your abilities. Give your love. Give your heart to someone else. Give a dollar to someone else. Find the guy in line behind you at the drive through Happy Meal. Listen, change somebody's life this week with the love and the generosity of God. Can we agree on that this morning? Put your hands together. Celebrate. You're dismissed as we sing. God bless you. We'll see you next week. My has been in your sights long before my first breath. Running into yours is running from life from death. I feel this rush deep in my chest. Mercy. Life Church. Y'all give it up for Brady on the drums for the first time and made his debut today. Yeah. Have a great week, Life Church. We love you.